Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at PCRC in Pisa, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And the closer we get to Synod, the messier things are getting. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. We're also dropping a new series, Prepare for Synod, with me every single Thursday from now all the way up until Synod, so make sure to check those out as well. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us over on Patreon. We are slowly working our way toward our modest goal of 20 subscribers at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Dirk Cucci. So Dirk, why don't you start us off first by telling us how to pronounce your last name? Because I have a feeling that I totally butchered it when I told everybody we're going to be talking to you. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so we we pronounce it coochie, uh, like yeah, like coochie coochie coo, I guess, like you'd say to a little toddler or something. Um, okay. But, yes. When when I announced you, I went with kind of the Dutch. I thought Dutch the J makes a Y sound, but but you said you've kind of Americanized that now. It's it's been Americanized. Yeah, you you said it uh, the proper Dutch way, coachia. Uh, it, it means little cow in Dutch. That's the literal translation. So okay, there's a candy yeah, my- bar. There's a candy bar in the Netherlands called Coochie's Reap or Coochie's Reap or something, and that's oh. the same spelling. So well, there you go. My my last name means noisy in Dutch. Oh. So <laughs> so so then okay, we'll move on from that, Dirk. Why don't you tell us kind of how we normally start? Wh- where you're at? Tell us about your family and and the church you're at. Yeah, so I uh, serve at Prosper Christian Reformed Church uh, in Falmouth, Michigan, and uh, that name Prosper has thrown some people for a loop in light of the prosperity gospel uh, that's arisen in our nation uh, the last however many years, but uh, Prosper is actually what the area was called way back when. There was a Prosper school right here. We're on Prosper Road, and so that's where the name comes from, And, and I guess, honestly, uh, prosper is a good biblical word when understood rightly. Uh, yeah. so, uh, that's, that's the reason for our name, but we're in the town of Falmouth, Michigan. Uh, Falmouth is about 25 miles east, straight east of Cadillac. Um, if we're going by, uh, Christian reformed church geography, maybe we would, we would locate it near McBain, Michigan. McBain's kind of a well-known CRC hub, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're 10 miles or so northeast of McBain. My kids go to school uh, at Northern Michigan Christian School in McBain. So that's kind of the community we're, we're a part of. Um, our community is known for uh, a place called Ebel's. Ebel's General Store and Ebel's Hardware is uh, well known uh, amongst many uh, in Michigan, at least. Uh, the Ebel's family goes to our church here. So 
Um, they have, uh, uh, they're well rooted in the CRC and that, that's kind of our claim to fame, I guess, is, is Ebels. It's a, it's a big, uh, big hardware, big general store. Um, and they do some, a lot of meat distributing as well and stuff out of there. So they have a lot bigger presence in the state than it seems if you just see their storefront. But anyway, I have, uh, I have five children. Um, our oldest is 12, a uh, girl. The rest are all boys. Uh, the youngest one, uh, actually, we are adopting him. It's been a long, painful process, but it will be over, Lord willing, Tuesday, a week from tomorrow. Oh, praise uh, God. So, yeah, we are praising God. It was, uh, uh, it was a test of faith, and it was, uh, it's, it's been a lot of emotions, but um, I guess that's adoption. The, uh, from what, yeah. I under, what I've come to find out, it's, it's never an easy road, uh, or it's often not an easy road. Um, and ours hasn't been, but we almost got it done. The Lord's provided, and he's going to be officially a coochie a week from tomorrow. So uh, praise God. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a bunch of friends who've done uh, adoptions, and uh, I don't know one of them that has gone perfectly smooth. Mm -hmm. no. So it's always, there's always some kind of hitch in the, in the system at some point. And yeah. So yeah, I, I, I like to, what I've kind of reminded, what I've had to remind myself and, and I've said to the people of our church too, right? Like adoption, there's an aspect of adoption that's tragic, right? Like that this fat, that this child has to call somebody else, mom and dad, uh, who, who are not his biological parents. Um, and with that, there comes a great responsibility for us. But I guess what I've said is, you know, it's adoption's kind of a bandaid in a broken world. Uh, and, and we're thankful to have them. We love them and we're going to raise them in the fear and knowledge of the Lord and trust the Lord will use that. But at the same time, it's not the way it's supposed to be. So, yeah. um, it's been a good sanctifying experience for my wife and I, and hopefully my church too. So, yeah. So did you grow up in Michigan then? Yep. So I am from Hudsonville, Michigan, Hudsonville, just West of Grand Rapids, you know, big, like the CRC epicenter there. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that's where I grew up. My wife as well. Um, I did not grow up in a CRC church. I actually grew up in an RCA church. Um, kind of had a foot in both worlds uh, because my, my, my parents grew up CRC. My grandparents were CRC. But when my parents got married, they joined an RCA church plant uh, in Jenison. And uh, that's where they're still at, actually, 40 some years later. Oh. Um, but so I, I went to an RCA church, but I attended Christian school, uh, Hudsonville Christian and Unity, and, and that was generally more of a Christian reformed world. So mm -hmm. I, I sort of had a foot in both worlds. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm, I, I didn't grow up CRC, but I'm not a foreigner either. I, I, I was pretty well planted in that Dutch reformed tradition uh, my entire life. So, yeah. And so then uh, did you, where'd you go to seminary? I went to Kelvin, Kelvin Seminary. Okay. Um, yeah, so my, my dad is a HVAC contractor. Uh, he's got a business in Jenison. Um, and I had always planned on just going to work for him because uh, that was the easy thing to do. Dad had a successful business and I didn't have to ask any hard questions. I could just slide right in and take it over. And uh, that's kind of uh, what I told myself I was going to do. Uh, all growing up, uh, graduated from Unity Christian, uh, 2003, went to Grand Valley for one year, um, and then I realized uh, that Grand Valley State, that is in, in Allendale, um, realized that really wasn't 
what I was after, I ended up going to a, a, a school called Davenport University here in, in West Michigan, which is, was at the time, it's not this way anymore, but at the time was really geared towards working people. So they had a lot of evening classes, online classes, two day a week classes. And so uh, I, I just took, uh, rearranged my schedule so I could continue working with my dad while I got my bachelor's degree. Really had no idea. I remember thinking the last three years uh, while I was there taking online classes, why am I even doing this? Why am I getting this bachelor's degree uh, in business administration? I'm just going to work with dad. The Lord knew what he had in store for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, uh, so I, I worked with dad uh, and, and took classes, got my bachelor's degree, and then the economy tanked uh, in about 2008 and mom and dad's business, which had always been uh, easily successful as most, most construction businesses in West Michigan were, uh, before then, um, suddenly fell on hard times. And, uh, during those hard times, the Lord forces us to ask questions. And the question I remember asking myself was, um, okay, all, all jobs have their ups and downs. What's God, what's God really calling me to do, uh, in my life? And I had always had this haunting, uh, See, I call it haunting, haunting suspicion that he was calling me into the ministry. I've had that since I was a little boy. Um, remember hearing my pastor as a young boy say, you know, you're called the ministry if you're not good at anything else. I, that's what he said <laughs> as a joke. And it just stuck with me for, I don't know how old I was. It was, I was probably in fifth or sixth grade and it just sort of stuck on me. I said, oh no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in ministry. And I literally, uh, God used that. I never forgot that and always had this feeling I was going to end up there. So started asking the questions and I knew I, 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 I knew what I had to, I knew I had to check out the ministry that God was kind of leading me in that direction. So, um, honestly, at the time, my wife and I, when we got married in 07, we wanted to find our own church. We joined Cottonwood. It was Cottonwood Heights Christian Reformed Church. Now it's Cottonwood. They call it Cottonwood Church. It's in Jenison. Um, joined there, found a home. So we were, we were members of a Christian Reformed Church. And what do good little Christian Reformed boys do that want to go into ministry? They go to Calvin. And, and at the time, I didn't ask any more difficult questions than that. I just did what I was supposed to do. My wife had uh, a job uh, in West Michigan. We had a house. Her job could pay the bills. It was the easy thing to do. Um, anyway, explored Calvin. The Lord made it abundantly clear uh, that that's where I needed to go. And so in 2010, I began seminary there. And I guess the rest is history, as they say, as, as with most people, that's probably the shortened version. There are more details and more wonderful workings of God in there. But um, yeah, the rest is history. So yeah. So uh, what was your experience at Calvin? Was it a good experience? Was it a difficult experience? Uh yeah, it's, that's a good question. Uh, so I, I had mentioned, you know, I went to Calvin because that's what good little CRC boys did. Um, I would not go to Calvin Seminary again uh, if I would do this over again, knowing what I know now. Mm. If, I had to, if I had to stay in Grand Rapids, um, I'd, probably, I'd probably be more interested in Puritan Seminary uh, in Grand Rapids with, with Dr. Joel Beakey. Um, I didn't even know it existed at the time. Um, I'd probably, if I didn't need to stay in Grand Rapids, I probably would have checked out RTS or Westminster or one of those. Um, I know that, uh, yeah, did, did the seminary thing. Um, I would say when I started seminary, uh, I wasn't well read theologically. 
I uh, hadn't spent a lot of time reading Cal- or any time, to be honest, reading Calvin's Institutes. I often felt out of place, like I was just kind of a, uh, a hick from West Michigan, you know, with all these kids fresh out of college drinking their lattes and, and I was nothing like them. That's how I always felt out of place. Um, and so as I went through seminary, began to think through some things, some doctrinal issues, more so than I ever had kind of realized uh, quickly that I maybe didn't match up theologically uh, with Calvin seminary on some things. Um, but you know what, I was there and, and it was fine. So I just learned to put my head down and do the work and, and, and that was fine. Um, but uh, I know after I got out of Calvin, um, I had to prepare for my classical exam and uh, uh, Steve Datum, he's a pastor in Gaylord here. Um, become a good friend of mine. He was my examiner and he, he, he gave me the book, uh, grace unknown by RC Sproul. And he said, read this. And we're going to talk about Calvinism and Arminianism at your exam. If you read this, you'll be fine. And I read that book and I, I learned more about reformed theology reading that book in a week than I ever did at Calvin seminary. And I just remember being blown away. Like mm. where, where was this? Like, this is amazing. Uh, this mm. is awesome. Uh, this is, this is the gospel. I remember reading his section on limited atonement. He gives it another name, particular redemption or something, but, and just, just like reading it in my own by myself and being blown away by the actual reality of, of Christ dying for me right? Mm -hmm. Like we say that, um, but only limited atonement or particular redemption or whatever you want to call it gives us only that doctrine gives us the right to actually say that, right? That he Mm. actually died for me. Like my name truly was graven on his hands as the song says. And, and I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you, you have these moments in your life. Mm -hmm. You probably had them as well where you're like, I'm not sure if I was born again before this. I've had that like six times, you know, and and obviously that's, Mm -hmm not the case, but you get this increasing knowledge and awareness of grace. And that was one of those moments. And, and, and that was, again, that was just reading that book. And, and I remember looking back going, what did I, what did I learn? I, I couldn't have articulated Calvinism after three years of Calvin seminary. Um, and I haven't even got into the preaching part of Calvin seminary yet, which is a whole <laughs> different story. Yep. But, so no, I, I wouldn't say I was that impressed with my, with my, with my education at Calvin. And I, and I, we had a young man from our church go to the ministry, go to seminary a few years ago, just took his first call last summer. But I, I said to him, I was open with him. I said, I said, David, I would not go to Calvin. I wouldn't, I think you can yeah. I think there's better options. And he went to mid America had really enjoyed it and it's doing well. So. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I, I've, I've, I've mentioned these types of concerns to various people throughout the CRC and they all give me just a really shocked look like, no way, not our seminary. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and I'm like, no, this is actually what's going on. Everybody just assumes that Calvin seminary is strong on preaching and doctrine. And, uh, and I was like, not anymore. It's not, they have a, I, I felt like there was an overemphasis on like practical ministry classes and stuff like that. And, and a lot of the doctrine was assumed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they probably just assume like, well, all of you guys understand reformed theology and stuff. And so we're going to, we just need to get you to be practical ministers. You know, you need to be better equipped for, 
for the ministry. And I keep thinking, man, if doctrine isn't equipping you for the ministry, then we have got a really wrong view of what the ministry is, really. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. Completely agree. Yeah. So as someone who's kind of grown up, you didn't necessarily grow up in the CRC, but you grew up, I mean, just outside of Jerusalem. So <laughs> you're, you, I mean, you, you can kind of look in and, and uh, what, what are some of the strengths that you've seen in the, in the Christian Reformed Church? Yeah. So um, um, I uh, certainly have grown to love the creeds and confessions. And that's, that's to me, I know I listened to Pat, Todd, Todd Kuparis do it. He said the same thing. I wanted to say something different. And he's my neighbor here uh, <laughs> and, and a good friend of mine. Uh, but that is a strength. I, I, I don't even think we realize what we have with those things. Um, and I, I did not learn those growing up. Uh, I did have a class at seminary. They, they, they did a pretty good job of setting those before us. I would have to confess that um, and, and kind of introducing me to those things. But I've, I've just fallen in love more and more with those documents um, uh, since I've been in ministry. And I, th I think those are remarkable. And, and I, you know, I suppose it depends on the church. Some churches know what they have and utilize them, but it, it seems like a, a lot of churches don't, you know, care much about them. And, but I, I think that's, those are wonderful documents, wonderful resources, uh, wonderful tools in the toolbox to use. And so it's a tremendous strength. The other strength I think in the CRC, honestly, is the people, the people sitting in our pews, um, I think are awesome. Uh, one of the greatest blessings, one of the, one of the things I've enjoyed most uh, since I started seminary is, is preaching in different congregations. In fact, uh, that's probably the one thing, you know, you have to have your own church and get called there and you serve there and preach there. But I, I loved preaching in different churches and different congregations um, and meeting different people. And, and, and now the last couple of years, I, I participated in an ordination out in Minnesota uh, last fall. Um, I've explored calls to other churches and so preached there uh, within years. And so I've been able to do that again. And, and everywhere I go, I just love the people. And the people that I see, they're, they're hungry for God's word. They're hungry to learn. They're hungry to grow. Um, unfortunately, I, I think in some cases, they've, they've been deprived of that because of of Calvin Seminary and because of the way they teach their preachers to preach. Um, they teach us to, you know, be good storytellers, but I don't think they pump out good preachers of the word at all. And the people sitting in the pews are hungry for that. They're becoming more and more aware of that themselves. But um, yeah, when they hear the word preach, like they respond well and they love it. And mm -hmm. I think, I think the people of our denomination are wonderful. Uh, which is probably the one reason uh, I continue fighting maybe for the denomination mm -hmm. and for orthodoxy, because I love the people that are part of this church uh, and who call this church home. They're great. Yeah. I've, I've had the same experience and uh, actually I just talked about this uh, last week. It'll be when this podcast comes out, I recorded just one reflecting on some of my own thoughts. And I had said, Really, one of the reasons why we need to keep fighting and find courage and strength in the midst of this reformation is because of the people in the pew. Yeah. And uh, and that's really, I think we just, we tend to forget. I think we can be kind of frustrated. We can see all of these other pastors out there that are 
um, kind of going liberal or kind of leading people astray. We can become so frustrated. And actually, I think we can misunderstand. We can think that more people in our denomination are kind of going liberal, mm-hmm. theologically anyways, um, than actually are. Like, I think there are significantly higher numbers of liberal pastors than there are higher than uh, people in the pew. Completely agree. Absolutely agree. Those, you know, if you look at the denominational offices uh, and, 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 and the ordained ministers of our denomination, it is not reflective of the people in the pew from my experience. The people in the pew are generally solid. They love the Lord. They love his word and they love to hear it. Yeah, that's a good point, Dirk. Uh, I have a quick question for you. I'm assuming you've read uh, J. Gresham Machen's work, Christianity and Liberalism. So I am wondering if you think that should probably be required material for our oh. ministers in our denomination to read. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I actually I actually only read it uh, this past winter it was the first time I had read it. It's one of those books that I, um, you know, I knew about. I was like, I really got to I got to read that. And then this winter I, I bought the audio book and listened to it uh, oh, cool. in my uh, when I was just going out for walks and stuff this winter. But yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, and. and it's hard to believe that book was written a hundred years ago. You're like, like this is today. You it's know? so current. It's so current and so relevant. Yeah, absolutely. I would love for that to be required reading uh, for our ministers. Yeah, I've started adding it to my, uh, I have certain books that I kind of read once a year. Mm-hmm. And that's been one for the last few years. Um, I have it on audiobook too. So it's one that I can pop in my ears when I'm going for a run or when I'm working in the garage or something just listening to it because it's one of those books where I think there's a lot here that I need to get kind of deep down in my bones and especially in just our current situation, not just in the CRC, but particularly in the CRC, but just as a country, I think we need to really understand uh, some of the principles he's teaching in that. For sure. For sure. So, um, anyways, I want to go back to the people in the pew. What would you say? I, and I know I'm just, going to ask you to shoot from the hip. I'm not asking for accurate numbers, but what would be your guess on the number of conservative CRC members in the, in our denomination? I'll give you my American guess. I I can't say much about the Canadian Christian Reformed Church, but, but my American guess, God, I'd say, I'd say 80%. I don't know. I maybe or, or more that might be, that might be safe. 90%. 90%. I don't I think it's high. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. I've been saying 75 is what I've been telling people. I would say I, my guesses are like 60% of pastors are probably conservative in the CRC, but 75 to 80% of the people in the pew are are probably conservative. And so I think for me that that helps again that also reminds me of this is why we want to fight for the denomination, right? Yeah. Like we're actually fighting for the people in the pew. Right. And making sure that our denomination represents um, who they think we are and not we're not trying to take it off in a different direction. Absolutely. I'm with you. Yeah. So I, I'd love to dive in because uh, I, I, I think I don't remember if it's been on the podcast, but I'm kind of known uh, for being fairly critical of uh, preaching coming out of Calvin Seminary and the preaching classes. And so I'd love to, why don't you dive deeper into some of the the frustrations or concerns you had with the preaching classes there? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> oh, you're going to open a can now. Um, 
I, I remember when I was sitting there and I, and I hadn't, you know, when you're there, I, I, I've obviously had a lot more time to analyze it in the almost 10 years since I've been out. But I remember sitting uh, in the preaching classes and um, listening to how they teach us to preach and then listening to uh, Kevin DeYoung, for instance, has always kind of been my guy. Actually, fun fact, uh, Kevin DeYoung and I grew up in the same church in Jenison. Oh, so, nice. So, I, you know, you have to throw that in there. Uh, he's about 10 years old. Man, but both our parents still go there. But you have that sort of hometown connection. And I've always I've always enjoyed him. And having that um, sort of connection has maybe been part of that. But I, I would always listen to Kevin DeYoung, for instance. And I remember thinking... This is listening to him preach is nothing like what they're teaching me uh, at Calvin Seminary. Meanwhile, they're also teaching us at Calvin Seminary that, you know, nobody wants to be in our church or, or uh, excuse me, our, our, our churches are losing members. You know, don't preach for over 20 minutes because people can't listen to it. And here he is preaching for 45 minutes in East Lansing. He's got college kids pouring through the door of his church. You know, his church is full. He's simply preaching scripture, you know, he's, he's not, he's, he's obviously quite gifted and, and good with words, but uh, just the whole philosophy by it just didn't add up to me. Um, and then I remember preaching in, in uh, seminary one time class. Uh, and I, I, the text was from, from Peter and it was about, um, I can't, I can't recall it. Like the morning star dawns in our hearts or the word made more certain. I, I should have looked this up. Um, but uh, anyway, I was, I was speaking about um, the word of God. And, and I was actually accused by a student of having too high a view of the word of God. And the professor uh, who shall remain nameless said nothing. He said nothing at all. Like, essentially affirming what the student said. And I never forgot that, right? Like, really, I, I have, you're, you're speaking about the word, like it's Christ. You, you have a higher view of the word than, I, than, than you do of Christ. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? That doesn't even make sense to me. Um, and so those were some frustrations I had uh, while I was in seminary. Um, but yeah, I, I guess my preaching style is, is simply to, to walk through the text to explain it, to apply it, right? Here's what God's word mm -hmm. says, to speak with God's word. And the people respond wonderfully to that. And, and what I hear coming out of Calvin is just people you know, telling stories, right? Uh, uh, trying to tie it to books. They're almost trying too hard. They make it too difficult, in my opinion. Um, um, trying to have all these illustrations. And um, I guess I, I, I just, the people are onto it, right? They understand. They, they say, we want a minister who's going to preach the word. Um, and, and they're on there. I've talked to enough search committees to hear that we want a minister who's going to preach the word. We don't want him to tell us stories the whole time. And I've seen these search committees now realize that they have to go to Westminster Seminary or RTS to find a preacher who preaches the word. I've seen that on several mm. occasions. And that's that's sad. Right. There's there's yeah. something wrong with that. Um, and I would say that's a big reason for the problems that we have today. I, I think ultimately we have a low view of scripture. Um, we say we have a high view of scripture, but I think the way we teach preaching actually betrays that we don't have a high view of scripture. Uh, we don't believe the word of God is able to do the work of God. Uh, and I think you and I believe that firmly, right? The word of God mm -hmm. is able to do the work of God, teach and preach the word of God. 
Holy Spirit will use that word to do the work of God in people's lives. And I don't think, I, I personally, this is my opinion, I'm sure if they were on here, they would have something to say, but I, I personally don't think uh, that those who teach preaching at Calvin Seminary have that belief. They think they need to bring in all of this worldly stuff and all of these stories to tickle people's ears. And I, I don't think so. And I think they're getting it wrong and, and we're paying for it. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I've had a lot of, cause I, when I came into seminary, so I had, uh, I had done, well, I don't know, but anyways, I had, I had preached for quite a while already. So when I was in youth ministry, I was preaching every week and I was preaching, I was preaching 30 to 35 minute sermons to our teenagers mm -hmm. every yeah. week. So it wasn't just like a Bible study. It was a flat out literal sermon. I was preaching every week. And, and I, when I started doing that, I had no idea what I was doing. And so I needed to figure out. So then I, I took some classes, some like online classes uh, with John Piper, because I was really appreciated the way that John Piper taught and, pro and preached. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I took some online classes to kind of learn from him how to, how to preach. And so I've been doing that. And, and he's very expositional and walking yep. through a text and applying it. And then, uh, and then I got to, and then I went to a Baptist college for my undergraduate and taught a preaching class there. And they were really expositional. And, and then I get to Calvin and I was all excited to take some good reformed preaching classes. Right? And, uh, and then it was the four page method, which depending on how you use it, um, can, it could be somewhat helpful, but the way it was taught was like a story for each page yeah. really. And, uh, and and I just remember shaking my head and and just like, ah, this is so terrible. And I had such a hard time writing my sermons because I'm like, I'm never going to preach these. Mm -hmm. I would never preach this to anybody because this is not what I think is good. But but they said, no, this is what your people need. And they kept, I don't know, the, did you hear the illustration? I kept hearing the illustration. What you have is people coming into your church, just beat down and bruised and wore out from the week. And, and just you need to be there to encourage them. And I think, yeah, some of the people are coming into my church that way. And some of the people are coming into my church <laughs> and just bluntly, they need a butt kicking. Yeah, like, right. they, they need to be smacked upside the head <laughs> and be like, wake up and hear the gospel. Yeah. They're not, they're not beat down and bruised. And so like, but, but they had this idea that everybody coming into church mm -hmm. didn't need, nobody needed to be rebuked. They just needed to be lifted up and encouraged. And we do that through some of these helpful stories. Yeah. And I just remember going, oh, this is not, this is not good. Yeah. And I would, I don't know if I've ever heard that illustration or thought of it in that way, but I would certainly say that's what was communicated. Yeah. That's, that's a good way of putting it. Um, that there's, you know, Marjorie in the front row who's, you know, weeping for her lost husband and needed to build her up. I remember that. I guess I did hear that because that was mm -hmm. not something I just made up, you know, but um, yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, and I found, I guess, Piper too, someone, you know, I, I said Kevin DeYoung, but Piper too, I was listening to a lot of those guys who were especially connected with the Gospel Coalition. I guess that would have been 12 years ago um, that they're not all connected with it anymore. But um, I remember uh, uh, listening to Piper and he would get done and I always thought, I, I, I remember thinking this specifically, he would get done preaching and, and I would say to myself, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do right now, but I know I love Jesus a lot more than I did 45 minutes ago. <laughs> and that makes 
all the difference in my life, right? Everything makes sense. I want to repent for this sin over here. I'm comforted because of this trial over here. It's like, I, Jesus is glorified and everything's just better. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Dirk Cucci. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. <laughs>